0: We live in a world that is rich with fascinating knowledge. There is so much to learn and to discover, but finding the time to do that is a challenge, which is why I love the Great Courses Plus app. I have unlimited access to award-winning professors and experts right on my phone. I can listen and learn about anything as I go about my day. I'm a big fan of using Great Courses Plus to make my chores less boring, I can explore history while commuting. I can discover scientific breakthroughs while making dinner. I can brush up on philosophy while waiting in line. With the Great Courses Plus app, you can access thousands of 30 minute lectures in almost any category. You can pause, rewind, fast forward, even select your playback speed, just like a podcast if you're one of those weirdos that listens at like one and a half time. I have been listening to How Ideas Spread, which, of course, is a personal interest to me. It is a really fascinating look at social influence and social currency, what makes certain ideas and behaviors catch on. Now, you can learn something new today, too, with The Great Courses Plus, and there is a special limited-time offer for my listeners, one free month of unlimited access to enjoy all of their lectures. Start your free month now. Sign up at The Great Courses Plus. Now that plus is very important. You're going to go someplace different if you don't use the plus. So it's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash friends. And then download the free Great Courses Plus app. So remember, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash friends. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and you are listening to With Friends Like These. A few months ago, I headed to CPAC, the conservative political action conference that I've been going to for about a decade. In the era of Trump, it has changed a lot. I used to go to hear from young conservative activists who were there to take workshops and sit in on panel discussions to learn the techniques of activism that are actually kind of independent of ideology. And in the past, CPAC was filled with those kinds of idealists, the people who knock on doors and sit in phone banks. They went to the conference to discuss ideas and policy, while people like Donald Trump and anyone affiliated with Breitbart screamed from the sidelines. But this year, the script was flipped. In part one of this season premiere, I dove into just how right-wing CPAC has become, just how much of a Trump rally it is. The outright racism and the MAGA hat-wearing majority was the order of the day. But welcome to part two. Today, we're going to hear from young activists who agree that the worst elements of the party have hijacked conservatism. And they hope to grab it back by participating in the political process. These are the young men and women who earnestly want to fix the problems we all see. They just think it will take different policies to do it. They're the conservative mirror image to the Pod Save America crowd, believe it or not. Their energy and ability to organize should make us sit up and take notice. So strap in, get ready, and come with me once more into the CPAC. The conservative activists I'm used to encountering at CPAC and some of the ones I found this year mainly differ from you and I assuming you and I a little bit, on what the policies should be to get to kind of the same idea. You know, they want generally the same things for America, I think, um, you know, healthcare care and, and education and, and freedom and justice and all that. Now, I might think some of their terms are defined badly, but for the most part, it's that vision we agree on and how to get there that we disagree about. However, their approach to getting people involved in policy change, well, that's really familiar. Conservatives have their resistance, too.
1: You can take a network. It's not just a bash network, but a community can come out of it because communities are even better. And so many people would say, you know, good, better, best. Never let it rest. Your good is better and your better is best. Networks are good. But how can they be better turning them into communities here? Working with communities, we can bring people together and create good and lasting change.
0: CPAC has a long-running activist boot camp, with workshops that fall under two categories, the DIY of activism and the essentials of communication. How to Have Tough Conversations That Move Hearts and Minds, How to Motivate the Millennial Voter, Building Your Online Community with Facebook Groups, Running for Local Office. Those are all workshops you'd expect to find in progressive circles, but CPAC has them too. They are a core part of the conference. I will point out that this year, perhaps not coincidentally, what had been a two-day activism workshop turned into kind of one and a half days. And it was a little more sparsely attended. Now, that sort of makes sense because Republicans are in the White House and maybe they feel less energized. But those that were at some of those workshops, I feel like they are resisting in some of the same ways we do. Here's a snapshot from one of those workshops.
1: We have to be the ones that take the action because if we don't, it's not that nobody else will, they will. The other side will. And they'll fill that up with the very seductive, uh, siren song of liberalism of, we'll take care of it. Oh, your kids need help with school? It's okay.
0: Now, I met some literal Pepe Pen-wearing trolls. But the idealist young people I remember seeing at CPAC in years past are still there. They want to change things. And they have personal reasons for identifying as conservative that aren't as reactionary as you might think. At the heart of it, many of them just want to help people. And somehow, they think that's just not getting through to the rest of the world.
1: We often, as conservatives, will miss out on the emotion. We will go straight to the facts and the figures, and we think, well, they're being emotional and they're being illogical. we need that because we can say, let me tell you about my neighbor who had this dependency problem and did this, other thing, and this is how they became that. It's much harder to beat that real story than just saying, here's a bunch of facts and figures. I know there's a way more complicated way to get that, but... Well, that's what we're teaching tomorrow.
0: So go see that. Here's Madison. She was with a group of MAGA hat-wearing guys, if I recall correctly. Um, But I was really interested in almost, I have to admit it, I was interested in almost any young woman I saw there, especially walking around the activism boot camp part of the conference. So I pulled her aside.
2: I'm Madison Stewart. I am 21 years old, and I'm from Kutztown University, originally from Delaware. You know, I, my family struggled a lot. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I'm conservative. Growing up, once the housing market collapsed in 2008, my dad lost a construction company. Um, we were we were pretty it was pretty bad off for a while. So we relied on those government programs, and I'm not bashing anybody um, who, would ever, you know, need to go through one of those avenues. But I think we we tend to, in this country, rely too heavily on them. Um, and there's there's better policies that can do more.
0: You know, I I hear you, and I I. Believe you were sincere and not wanting people to suffer and yeah. wanting to help people, but something that I've sometimes found about conservative approaches to policy is that you kind of hit a wall in a way where, if you frame the policies the way that you that I think you're framing them, like there're going to be just some people that don't get, there're going to be some people left behind.
2: Well, I think that that would be a flaw in the policy. Then I, I don't think that. I, I, I want to help as many people as we can, and, and you know, not as the government, but just as like neighbors, um, you know, fellow humans. Um, I think that there are ways that we can help each other that don't involve the government necessarily. So I would I would advocate for you know, um, kind of lesser weight on the welfare system and more on you know small communities, uh, church organizations, nonprofit work, things like that. I think that there's been kind of a shift in the narrative um, that we approach poverty um in this country and it it used to rely heavily on the that community bond and i think we need more of that and so you think that's what would fill in the gap if if there was a gap i think it has the potential to and i think if it's um approached in a a reforming way that allows it to do that um, surely um any major cut to uh, a program that's as widely used as you know food stamps welfare social security medicaid those things um it's 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 going to have to be implemented slowly. We can't just, you know, take away someone's livelihood. Um, or their sustenance. You, it is sustenance. It is, it's like, thank you, the word yeah. I'm looking for, not necessarily livelihood. But um, it would have to be approached, you know, incrementally. And when, when, when those gaps do appear, I think that the nonprofit sector, um, church organizations, you know, community organizations, they can um, fill that void, and they should. Because, um, I mean, just from a moral standpoint, it's our duty to look out for our fellow citizens.
0: It's our duty to look out for our fellow citizens. That's a sentiment I heard from a few people. But the truth is there are a lot of people who get left out. And that's my problem with conservatism in general. I mean, however good your end result goal might be, a lot of times these policies just inevitably leave people out. um, Cutting back Medicaid or, or defunding Planned Parenthood or making education private. Those things, however well-intentioned, are inevitably going to leave some people behind. And that's just on policy. The leaders that the CPAC crowd are lifting up right now don't even come close to reflecting what you might call compassionate conservatism. The desire to help people that these young activists are clearly acting on. I mean, Donald Trump isn't an aberration. Um, Look at Roy Moore. He continued to have Republican support, evangelical support, despite his sexual misconduct with teenage girls. It's not helping. And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Republicans' concentrated efforts to restrict and even roll back the rights of women. I was a little surprised to find people at this conference who were both aware of this problem and what it means for the party and want to see their party address it. I'm Anna Marie Cox, and you're listening to With Friends Like These. We'll be back with more after this break. So I actually have a wedding coming up uh, this summer. My sister-in-law is getting married. I am welcoming another liberal into the family, actually. And my husband is going to be wearing a tuxedo from The Black Tux. He, like everyone, wants to look as good as I do. Um, at these special events, um, and I actually have the luxury of like all these different kind of like uh, special occasion rental apps and whatnot, which I use. Now, the Black Tux does that same thing for high quality rental suits and tuxedos delivered to your doorstep. The Black Tux is the easy way to rent suits and tuxedos online. They let you create your own look, or you can choose from tons of stylist-selected outfits. Now, suits usually retail for about $1,200, but at the Black Tux, they start at $95. And the Black Tux has free home try-on, so you can see the fit and feel the quality of your suit months before the event. And after ordering, your suit will arrive 14 days before you need it. If it is anything less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a free replacement right away, and when the event's over, you just drop your rental back in the mail. Shipping is free both ways. To get $20 off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com slash friends. That's theblacktux.com slash friends for $20 off your purchase. The Black Tux, premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. Now, these days, you can get anything on demand like this podcast you are listening to right now. So why are you still taking trips to the post office to mail letters and packages when you can get your postage on demand with Stamps.com? With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office, which is under siege right now. You should use the post office. Let them know you support them. And you can do that from your desk 24-7 when it's convenient for you. I'm being quite honest. I have always found the post office to be a real hallmark of American uh, ingenuity and democracy because it delivers everywhere. It's amazing. For a stamp, the price of a stamp, you can send a letter anywhere in the world. Well, in America and then for a little more of the world. Um, And you can do that again from your desk. Um, using stamps.com you can buy and print official u.s postage for any letter any package using your own computer and printer and the mail carrier just picks it up like he does with all the mail it's such an amazing service we have in this country just click print mail you're done couldn't be easier I use stamps.com because I am I am now actually a pass-through corporation. Uh, thank you, Donald Trump. Uh, that is why I actually finally did that um, after years of my accountant urging me to do so. I'm a business. I am a small business. Uh, so I have a lot of stuff to send that would be really helpful for me to do under a business account. And stamps.com allows me to do that in a really easy way. So right now, you can actually get a special offer using the code FRIENDS. It includes up to $55 in free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week free trial. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the page and type in FRIENDS. So that's Stamps.com, microphone at the top of the page, enter FRIENDS. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut, I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, it's everyone from comedians to politicians to for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So, you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiance of Stefan Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim and immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Midi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at TheIntercept.com slash Deconstructed or on any podcast platform. I started talking to this next young woman because we were both sitting in an activism workshop about reaching out to women. I also saw she was from the University of Alabama, and I'm a college football fan, so I knew we'd have some common ground. But we did quickly turn to politics and some obvious questions that I had.
3: Well, I think the conservative movement has a lot of work to do when it comes to women women over to our values um, It's not necessarily a problem with our principles and our values, per se. It's more of our messaging and just a lack of outreach in general to women, especially women who might be kind of pushed away by some of the more hostile rhetoric from certain people in the conservative movement who necessarily don't represent everybody in the conservative movement. And I think more women need to be talking about this. And I, I think we do need to be doing more outreach to women. I want to be,
0: I want to kind of pin you down on the hostile rhetoric because one could argue that some of that hostile rhetoric, rhetoric is coming from the White House.
3: Um, I think you could make that argument and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with it. I think that we in the conservative movement need to hold each other accountable when it comes to respecting women, when it comes to outreaching to women to necessarily address the issues that we care more about because all issues are women issues, but there are certain issues women do care a little bit more about. And that's not saying that we don't care about every issue. We just are more like focused on certain things at certain times and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think saying that, oh, like, You know, this is women's only issue isn't true, but I think we need to be speaking more on certain issues when it pertains to how it affects women in particular.
0: So just to be super clear about this, I mean, it seems to me, from my observation, like a big problem for the conservative movement is that there are prominent Republicans who say things about women that are insulting. Um, you had someone in the White House that had to resign for being what seems to be pretty strong evidence of being a spousal abuser. And you're saying the problem is messaging.
3: Well, I think that those same incidents happen in the Democratic Party. I think that's not just an issue with the Republican Party or the Demo- or the Democratic Party. I think that's a problem with our society in general. And it's not a partisan issue. And that issue of the Me Too movement, the issue of sexual harassment, sexual assault, that transcends politics. I think that
0: I know that the argument from my side would be that the actual policies of conservative movement are anti... I'm not going to say anti-woman, because I actually don't agree with that way of framing it. Mm -hmm. But that they disempower women. Let's put it that way.
3: Well, how would you exactly say it? Um,
0: I would say that, um, for one thing, uh, you know, equal pay laws are something that Democrats and liberals are in favor of, but that a lot of Republicans don't feel are necessary.
3: Well, I think we already have an Equal Pay Act. And I think that when you look at the wage gap, which I will absolutely say that there is a wage gap, because, but when you look at it, it's not about what you actually get paid. It's about over your lifetime, over your career, women are more likely to make decisions that are going to lead to them getting paid less when it comes to taking time off, when it comes to going into lower paying fields and stuff like that. And I think addressing why are women not going into STEM fields? Why are women not going and, you know, bargaining and, you know, negotiating for higher salaries? Talk about that stuff when it comes to the wage gallery or the wage gap and instead of saying, oh, Republicans, you know, they're, you know, against any type of, you know, Equal Pay Act, we already have an Equal Pay Act. When it comes to empowering women, we need to teach women on a s- social basis and on a career and professional basis how to go in and negotiate, how to, you know, balance the work life and personal life schedule, and also to just challenge themselves and to go into different fields that traditionally women haven't been in. but we're going into now and, you know, I can't tell you how many times I walk into a room and I'm the only woman there, but I still, I don't leave because I know that I need to be there. And then
2: I
0: guess like just sort of to be more blunt about it, we were talking about the harsh rhetoric or negative rhetoric coming um, from conservative leaders about women. I mean, do you think that Trump is a problem for uh, attracting women to conservative values and the conservative movement and the Republican Party?
3: Absolutely. I, I would absolutely say that and I would not disagree with you and the slightest if you said his rhetoric is, I, I will come out and say he sexist, it's derogatory, it's demeaning, it's disrespectful, it's offensive and I don't support it, I don't condone it or I don't, con- I mean, I just, I am still a never Trump Republican to this day, I will never vote for him. Um, for a lot of the comments that he made against women. Um, as a woman, I could never do or say th- say that I support him. Um, I think in the Republican Party, there needs to be a serious conversation and a serious action against that type of rhetoric and that type of mentality.
0: What should the Republican Party do about him as president, though?
3: He's our president. And at the end of the day, he's going to be our president for the foreseeable future. I think the Republican Party, he's our president, and we need to you know, support the policies that align with the Republican Party values, but at the end of the day there have to be Republican party policies and they also character matters. I firmly believe in politics. And we can't give a free pass to anybody, whether it's the president or it's the local your local representative when it comes to matters of sexual harassment, sexual assault and just absolute derogatory statements or derogatory offensive acts against women and it's it's something that it's not just in the republican party it's not just in the democratic party it's everywhere in our culture and that's something that's so great about the me too movement is it transcends politics and it i can sit here and say as a republican woman me too you could say it anybody can say it and it's nobody's going to be like well you're a Republican woman it doesn't matter you know we're not connecting anymore as women on a I'm looking at you as a Democrat or you're looking at me as a Republican or Independent it's you're a woman and you've gone through similar experiences as I have and on that basis we are have a same mindset and we have a same shared experience and I think it's really true transforming politics it's transforming how we talk to each other interact with each other and I think that's a total societal conversation that we need to be having not just in legislation against you know whether it's paid family leave or whether it's stricter um, actions against sexual harassment but it's just a bigger conversation we need to have in our society about how we view and treat women.
0: Now, that was a starkly different voice from the right-wing reactionary voices that break through in the media, on the internet, and Twitter, whatnot. This was a conservative woman that put being a woman at the center of her political identity. Jennifer did, too.
4: Adeline and I and our compadre Jordan are here and we're outside in the lobby at CPAC holding up a rainbow flag which says, don't tread on me, the Gadsden symbol. And our flags, I'm sorry, our signs, which my wife made, said proud to be conservative, proud to be transgender, proud to be American, hashtag same team. Jennifer is a trans woman
0: who saw CPAC as, well, maybe not a natural place, but an important place to find support for her community. It seemed a little weird at first,
4: but she had her reasons. What that means is we are on the same team, whether we're conservatives and we have a different perspective on a lot of different issues, but we're also on the same team for the LGBTQ community. Just because our politics may differ, we're still supportive of our community. And that's why we're here at CPAC to defend our community and advocate for our liberties, our rights and our freedoms. And the response has been very good. It's nice that we do have good progressives out there who do see this as an issue they can get around, but we also have a lot of conservatives who can get around that issue also. And one of the reasons we're here to do this is to tell them, look, we're proud to be here as conservatives, but we're also proud of our transgender identity too. And just because you're one doesn't mean you're the other. But to us, one of the most cons- things you can do that is conservative is to be transgender. Because you're seizing your destiny, you're seizing your identity, and telling a government, you're not going to tell me who I am. So if you think about it, it is kind of <laughs> conservative in that way. I know some of your listeners is, is, might be,
0: Is where's, I want? I where's Mike Pence? Because I want... <laughs> Wouldn't well, <laughs> <he, he laughs> be to he has, hear this argument.
4: He hasn't worked his way towards this yet, but we're we're making one step at a time. But we've we've been having success. We've been doing some lobbying on Capitol Hill. Uh, we've been able to meet with more and more congressmen, even some of the more hardline socially conservative congressmen. But when you tell them your life story and talk about uh, talk to them about what can happen in an emergency medical situation, if someone won't serve you because they believe they have religious liberty, even. Like I live in a state, I live in New Jersey. I'm pretty safe if I'm in a car accident. If I move to Arizona or Arkansas or another place, I could be left on the side of- Or if Indiana, if Mike Pence would have had his way. Sure. And that's the reason it's important for us to be here because the folks here, many of them, have never met an LGBTQ person, so they're not gonna have that conversation. But the sadder part is so many in our LGBTQ community won't talk to these very same people. Most of them won't.
0: We are both laughing about the transgender thing, and in part that's because I think it's a brilliant argument. I confess, I will, I will be using it uh, only to blow people's minds. But also, it is—it's tough to laugh about because it is a life or death issue. I mean, being transgender in America today has become—or has always been—you know—an issue of life and death. Like there are people who are afraid to get medical care. Um, it is one of uh, the most highly victimized mm-hmm. categories of people yeah, yeah, uh, that's for hate. One
4: thing where there, not to interrupt you, but that's one thing where there, these crazy restroom okay. bills, uh, okay, so how where these crazy safe? restroom uh, okay. bills, can lead to discrimination on housing, on unemployment, okay. you know, and a lot of things that we don't want it to be that way.
0: So I hear your conservative argument, right? Mm-hmm. I, I hear the libertarian argument for transgender, but do you worry? I mean. And, and I also hear that young people are, you know, kind of picking this up and, and, and conservative young people. Mm-hmm. But do you have concerns about the direction that we're heading as a country? Because some of transgender pr- progress is being undone at the very top level.
4: Um, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure I do. That's But that's why I'm here. Jordan and I came to CPAC last year. We did the same thing with the signs. We had a different flag. And we engaged people on the very morning after President Trump rescinded the Obama guidance. And 200,000 transgender children were told that they were another, other, that they were alien, and they weren't going to be protected. And if we didn't do that, if we didn't make a stand, we wouldn't have known of how many allies we have.
0: Do you separate out conservative and Republican?
4: A lot of conservatives would do that themselves. Uh, Yeah, you can uh, separate both of them. Do you consider
0: yourself Republican or conservative or both? I'm both.
4: But I'm not a social conservative. There's a difference. Conservatism started in the 60s with Barry Goldwater in a movement even earlier than that. And even Barry Goldwater by the late 70s was a proponent of LGBT rights and most famously said, I don't care, as far as people in the military, I don't care if you are straight, I care if you shoot straight. And that's what the party's forgotten. But it's also been an influence of a lot of religious folks and evangelical folks who need to know, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a conservative too, I'm also a Catholic, I believe a lot of the same things. But that doesn't extend to my political views. We shouldn't be at a party of discrimination. And some people, because of what they want to do at the state level or the local level, are making our party that way. And that's what we have to fight back against. And what I try to use is my brand of conservatism, my beliefs, as a weapon, as a shield to protect our community. Now, if
0: what she's saying is right... Maybe it's true that the conservative movement under Trump isn't as monolithic as we think or I think. At the very least, that's something Jennifer wishes that we knew. And here's that same young woman I talked to earlier about the Republican Party's relationship with women. What do you wish that the people who are listening to my show, what do you wish they knew about CPAC and about you?
3: I think it's very true what they say about us being a big tent. Um, And because I know so many people who, from the beginning of the presidential primary, hard Ted Cruz people, hard Rubio people, hard, you know, whatever you were. But it's still at the end of the day, we still have so many different views here. I mean, last night we got a conversation, a group of friends of mine about, you know, what's better, neocon or libertarian. And (laughs) I mean, and you can find that vast range of beliefs and values here at CPAC and I know it seems like oh it's all just Republican and we all are you know you know have this group think and we all get in line but we really do have diverse conversations about policy and you know I'm I'm always the one in the corner kind of challenging people to just listen to other people and then just respond based off of what you hear, not just what you wanna get a little jab, a little one liner and you know it's CPAC is really a great place where conversations happen about policies, conversations happen about networking, you know, so you can meet people, so you can talk about these things and actually affect policy.
0: I'll be honest. I don't know if optimism like that is infectious or just delusional. I want to feel it. I think I'm an optimist at heart, really. And in talking to the more earnest and, you know, less bigoted and racist activists at CPAC, I wanted to believe that they represented the future of the party. I wanted to believe that these were people that I could make a connection with beyond ideology, beyond individual policy recommendations. And we could focus on doing something together, building towards a shared goal. I mean, you can compromise on some things if you're still working towards the same big thing, right? Right. But the conversations we were having, the reason why they stood out to me and the reason why they felt so important was because they weren't representative of all the other conversations I'd had. These voices, they're there. They're a part of the movement. But I don't know how resilient they can be. I don't know how to sustain them. I do know we have to find them, (laughs) reach out to them, and do what we can to support them. Because while we disagree on a lot, the future of the country relies on our ability to withstand some differences. And it's hard not to see in their hope the same hope for change that we hold on the progressive side. And though they're certainly small in number, they're still there. And so the question remains, are they the future of the Republican Party or the past? Where do you think the Republican Party is headed?
4: That's a great question. Uh, I'm hopeful that we will see more moderate candidates or more true Republicans, in my opinion, take up the mantle of the party and remember why we were founded in a little white schoolhouse in Ripon, Wisconsin. It, it sound, may sound corny, but it's true. I've been to that little white schoolhouse. And that's where the first abolitionists got together. And the reason they did that was to end slavery and raise people to freedom. Well, there's no reason, and it may be symbolism. We can't do the same thing today, because there's no reason any LGBTQ person doesn't deserve to have the liberty, the freedom, the equality, and the rights of every other American.
0: Now, Jennifer admits the Republican Party has a long road ahead. But despite the people CPAC put on the podium this year, it's clear they're not the only people fighting to define the future. And I, I wish them luck because I want to live in America where all we disagree on is policy, not on the inherent worth of people. Thanks for listening.